As we learned last week in Romans 1, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and saying, I'm going to tell you how salvation works. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and not in the works or in following the Mosaic laws that the Jews have been previously um, uh, doing. And so if you were to give Romans 2 a title, I would probably call it something around, what is the value of the law? And what's the value of being Jewish? Because right off the bat, what Paul is saying is, um, it's not the law that saves you. And for 2,000 years, although the Jews have been following the Mosaic laws, or at least the covenant of God and and following his rules, at this point, um, there's a new covenant. And Paul is saying that new covenant has to do with Jesus Christ and believing that he is who he says he is, that he is in fact the Messiah. So we are going to go through Romans 2 as Paul dives into that because the argument, or at least the response, uh, that the Jews will say here in this community is, okay, well then what was the value of following the law the whole time anyway? What was the value of being Jewish? If Jesus kind of, if what I think you're saying is nullifies the law, replaces the law, what have you, then what was the whole point? Why was there circumcision? Um, And that sort of thing. So, okay. So I think what we're going to do is just go ahead and jump right in. Good morning. Good morning. Sorry, really. Welcome. No, no problem at all. Come right in. (coughs) I think we're going to jump right in and we're going to read from Romans, but I think we're going to break up Romans 2 into a few sections here. (coughs) So first we're going to read Romans 2, and we are going to read 1 through 16. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who who does evil the Jew first, and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So right off the bat, in the very beginning, we have some clues to some of the problems that are going on in the Roman church. Now remember in chapter one, Paul really, right at the beginning of chapter one, kicks off by saying all of these very specific human vices, a lot of them focused on sexual sin, on uh, selfishness, of uh, lying, cheating, and so forth. Now he is focusing on a different set of problems. What are the problems going on in the Roman church, according to Romans 2? A lot of finger pointing. Ooh, <coughs> finger pointing. And what do we mean by that? <coughs> like I saw him do this, I saw yeah. her do that. Mm-hmm. 
The Greek here is the same as the English, hypocrisies. There's hypocrites. <coughs> There's people saying, well, I follow the law, and that guy over there, I see that he's been sinning, but I'm a great person. But secretly, you know, in my own private life, they've been sinning just as much, and Paul knows this is a problem. The problem is the people in this church are saying, uh, and, and probably those who were either Jewish or Jewish proselytes, saying, look, yo, we're covered by the covenants. We're covered by the Mosaic law. We're good, right? We got a get-out-of-jail-free card. But that guy over there, he might be a Gentile, or she might be a Gentile. She might be a recent convert. Ooh, I've heard her gossiping, or I've seen him uh, lying and cheating people at his business, or what have you. <clears throat> so the thing that Paul is attacking here is the fact that there seems to be this, this feeling amongst the, the members of the Roman church that, well, some of us feel like we're perfect because we're covered by the, the Mosaic law, we're covered by our circumcision, and our, and our, you know, essentially Jewishness. <clears throat> but I can point fingers at these other people who I see as sinning. But what is the problem with that? Why do they go back to the law when uh, the, um, like Abraham was saved mm-hmm. before the law came? Mm, okay. Because he believed God. Ooh. Lorna, bless your heart. So what you're saying is, why would they go back to that when yeah. Abraham himself, <clears throat> was his, his faith was counted as righteousness? And that is, that is a key point here, as to say, and this is what Paul is going to talk about in the entire second chapter and third chapter and on in Romans, which is, it's not the law that is getting, giving you this get-out-of-jail-free card. <clears throat> it's not the physical act of circumcision that gets you out of jail free. It is not... The fact that you are born a Jew and you're either your racial heritage or your, or your cultural heritage, that somehow saves you. That is exactly what Paul is trying to get at here. But in verse 5, he says, but what? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. So if God is getting wrathful at someone, why? According to verse 5, would God get wrathful at people? Because of what? What two traits? There you go. God's wrath because of stubbornness. Right, exactly. Disbelief. And what unrepentant. Yes, yes, disbelief. Put that up here, disobedience. It's like they know what to do, but they don't do it. Mm. Because even though they're, it's written on their hearts, they're all written on their hearts. This is great. Mm-hmm. So they just blatantly <clears throat> So this actually gets at a really big question that a lot of people, both, both religious and unreligious, have about about Christianity in general, which is, well, what about the headhunter in Brazil that's never heard the gospel? Why would God condemn that person? Because he's never heard it. Why would God send and judge, send someone to hell or judge someone in the far remote reaches of the world who has never heard the Mosaic law? 
or has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, why would God be so, what they would say is, unfair? But what does Paul start to get at here? He says in verse 12, what? All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, just as all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Paul is going to start to make the argument here that the law is just a set of human interpreted rules that represent what God has already written in the hearts of all of us. The law here really represents God's will, his righteousness, his truth, and his love. And according to Paul, everyone on earth has that law written in their heart in some way. Now what he's going to start to get at here is, well, okay, if you're a Greek at this point, you probably are very advanced, you're very philosophical, and you start to ask questions like, well, is that my conscience? Now there are many Christians who would say, and some don't, some do, I have a conscience, I have a conscience, and thus maybe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. You know, we have this concept in in our modern day of the little devil and the little angel sitting on our shoulders, right? On one side is the angel saying, don't lie. On the other side is the little devil saying, lie, right? And it's funny and, 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 you know, uh, we get a good laugh out of that. And if anyone has ever seen Studio C with the shoulder devil, has anyone ever seen Studio C? Oh my gosh, here's a plug for Studio C. Hilarious, probably one of their best skits. Anyway, what, what Paul is trying to get at here is, yes, humans do have this thing called a conscience. The problem is, the conscience, according to Paul, is not necessarily the Holy Spirit or God himself speaking to you because, as we'll learn, your conscience can be derailed. Your conscience can be rewritten. It starts with your heart where, and we'll get into this, it starts with your heart and God writing his law in concept and meaning on it. So you know right from wrong. And this whole thing about, you know, your kids, and and again, the analogy is uh, if you have a five-year-old and they go, and here's a simple one, they go get the cookie out of the cookie jar when they weren't supposed to, okay? If you come walking into the room, they'll look at you with big eyes, won't they? And they'll put the cookie behind their back. And they'll say, what are you doing? Nothing. Eh? Why? What's it in your hand? A cookie. I'm like, why are you eating a cookie? Well, I didn't know. You know, did you know that it was wrong to take it? No. They knew. (laughs) They knew. We know. When you get convicted of something, look, right and wrong is written on human hearts from the very beginning. Trying to say here is, yeah, that is, that is the beginning of God writing his law and his, and his righteousness on your heart. You should know right from wrong as a human being. Now, of course, there, there are exceptions to that. Um, you know, a psychologist will say someone who has sociopathic behavior or is mentally ill or, you know, very seriously mentally ill may at some point stop recognizing the difference between right and wrong, which is why things like polygraph tests don't work so well, because they only work on people who know that when they lie, it's a bad thing but people who have no problem lying or don't see it as a problem can pass uh, polygraph tests even when they are lying. Anyway, long story short is Paul is going to address this. So let's... uh, Verse 4, it alludes to that you're not going to get you're not going to get saved by doing right. God's patience with you Mm. and love for you is is how you will change because of that. 
kindness and tolerance and patience. You, do you think lightly of those things, not knowing that the kindness yep. of God leads you to repentance? That's why we change. This is this now is how we change oh. first, and then God accepts us because we change. He loves us in spite of, and then we change. This is a really good one. I'm glad you brought this up, Ken. The Greek here for forbearance is macrothumia. It literally means having wrath simmering for a long time, but not expressing it. Long-suffering. Yes, long-suffering. Thank you, sir. God has our forbearance for us, but, and this is an excellent point that Ken says, which is it's the kindness of God that should lead us to repentance. And again, repentance means what? What does repentance mean? Say it again. Turning away from. Okay, turning turning in a different direction. What else? Feeling remorse for what you did. Okay, feeling remorse for what you did. Not doing it again. Not doing it again. What else? Asking for forgiveness. Ooh, asking forgiveness. Greek here is metanoia. Um, at least one way to say it. And what it literally means is a change of mind. But that doesn't really capture it. It's more of you have been transformed in your thinking. That's what the Greek would mean here. And by transformed in your thinking means you're going to do things differently after the fact. <clears throat> Repenting isn't just... And all, what all of you said is, is right. When you put it all together, what it, what it amounts to is... A repentance means I not only acknowledge and feel bad for what I've done, but I'm going to change my behavior. Now, how many kids who had their hand in the cookie jar felt bad about what they did? Well, probably all of them, if you know, most, if they got in trouble. But then how many of them go back when you're not there to put their hand back in? That wasn't true repentance. That would be what someone like Paul or even Jesus himself would say is not true repentance. You may have felt bad because you did it. And again, you know, name your politician here in the latest scandal. They got caught. Oh, I feel bad and I'm deeply sorry that I got caught. <laughs> Are you sorry that you, that you were wrong? That's the key piece here. And so what I want to get back to what Ken was saying is the kindness of God can be misinterpreted. How patient are you, if you've had children, with making sure that they learn right from wrong and that they change their ways and over time you can help correct them and put them on the right and narrow path. And, you know, of course, they grow up to be good people. It takes time. Not one incident is going to fix that. If, you know, if you raise them for 18 years, that's 18 years of effort you're putting into that. And then, of course, once they leave, uh, you know, many parents will continue to try and help their children in one way or another. This is, this is, this is the long term here. But the kindness of God can be misinterpreted. And I think this is where some people kind of go wrong. <clears throat> And again, <clears throat> there's many examples of this. Well, I sinned, but God loves me and God forgives me, so I'm okay. And I'm going to keep sinning. Uh-uh. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, God is going to be patient, but he has wrath stored up. You better believe it. You're made in the image of God, each one of you. How many of you have had wrath in your life? How many of you have had frustration boil over in your life? How many of you feel like you want to do the right thing, though, and love, and you love someone in this world? 
all of that mixed together, you're describing the characteristics of God too. But here's where we can go wrong, where we take advantage of the kindness of God and say, eh, Jesus loves me, so I'm good. I'll just keep sinning. This is not a blank check to keep sinning and to keep doing what you're doing. And I think I wanted to make that point there. Any, any other um, comments on this first section? Mm-hmm. And how many times did God continue to bless them? I mean, even, I don't know how many times they grumbled. I mean, it's like they just got fed the day before, before that day, and they're already grumbling. And why did you lead us out here in the desert? How many times they said that? And there's that one part, well, not just one part, but he also provides the water, provides the food, even after all this. And even like uh, Balaam wanted to get Balaam, or Balaam wanted to get Balaam, and he wanted to throw curses down on him. And God came to him in a dream and says, no, you're going to say what I'm going to tell you. Mm. And continue just to bless them. And he's like, these are my people and they are blessed. I'm like, even though that they have continually denied him and Mm. grumbled against him, God still blessed them. That's the long suffering and forbearance that he has for his people. I think... I think what Roger is getting at here is a really good point. <clears throat> I'm going to make a claim. Most humans are not strategic thinkers. <laughs> we tend to think in the moment, minute to minute. We, we look five minutes, maybe if we're lucky, looking five minutes ahead. We look, of course, a long way in the past. But we're, we're kind of focused narrowly on the here and now. <clears throat> it's probably the 80-20 rule. I would say 20% of human beings are strategic thinkers. They're constantly thinking about the long term. They're patient. They're not tactical. I mean, they're not constantly reacting to every single thing that happens moment by moment. I'll make a claim here. God is a strategic thinker. And I think we're bearing it out by what Paul is saying and by what Roger just said. Literally, the Hebrews, wandering through the desert, minute by minute, think about Mount Horeb. Moses, okay, think about this. The Hebrews have just been through weeks of plagues and atrocities and redemption, where God, time and again, has saved their you-know-whats, has helped release them from captivity in Egypt, saved them from Pharaoh's army with a pillar of fire and parting of the Red Sea, on and on and on, providing manna and quail and water. And literally, the first five minutes that Moses disappears up onto Mount Horeb, they turn back. Well, Moses isn't coming back, so let's go make a golden calf and worship that, right? Now, if you are you and me, the very first thing you're thinking is, right? (laughs) I've been just saving your rear ends for, you know, how many days, how many weeks. The minute something doesn't turn out the way you want it to, you completely turn away from everything and and disavow me, God, and, and reject me. Now, if you are a normal human being, you're probably thinking very tactically, like, I am going to kick the crap out of these people, right? I am, God, I'm going to, you know, smite you. But what does God do? And Roger is absolutely right about this. Yes, there was a penalty to be paid for that, and they paid it. But the long term was, they are still my people. Because I'm going to accept that this kind of thing is going to happen. I'm going to accept they're going to get themselves into more trouble. And this won't be the last one. Even Moses will get himself into trouble at some point. 
God is a strategic thinker. It gets back to this whole thing. I'm going to be patient. Okay, God now. Patient, kind. I'm, I am going to be wrathful, but I'm going to bite my tongue because I know this is for the long term, and I think this is what we have to understand. And I am very thankful for it. <laughs> I think one of the new things that differentiates us from God mm-hmm. is God's ability to see the world through our eyes from his way. Oh. So he understands that, in this case, the Israel, Israelites, they expected you know, a couple-week journey across the desert to get to their yep. promised land. You know, they knew that it's not a 40-year journey. Here they are wandering around in the desert, so I, I fully get them grumbling, and I think God yep. understood them grumbling. Just, I mean, it's it's human nature. They they didn't, you know, you talk about the strategic thinking. They didn't have that. They're reactionary. They're, you know, manna today again. Thing. We we've done this for ten years. How many? You know, this is a three-week journey. What are we doing out here? Mm-hmm. What what they're doing is getting. Programmed or reprogrammed. Mm-hmm. Ah. God wants our faith. That's all He wants. You know, yep. God called Abram out of Ur. He's like, I want you to go take your family and go here. Okay. And then, that's when you read mm-hmm. it that way, it's just, oh, fine. Where are you guys going? I'll relieve it. God told me to go. And, uh, yep. okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what He wants. He wants to, yeah. we're gonna, I'm going to pull you out of Egypt. I want you mm-hmm. to go here. Yes, sir. I'm going to believe in you and have faith in you and I'm going to give you my pillar of fire and, and also that angel it's like you have all this um, presence of God around you and I don't I don't understand how we don't have that today I don't understand how they continually grumbled and continued wanted to go back when they had all this evidence I mean they walked through the Red Sea and they had <coughs> bowls of water on both sides you know to me that would be awesome mm-hmm. to be able to do that he just wants our heart. He wants our faith. He wants us to believe that he's got it. No matter what the circumstances are currently in life, you know, he's got God's got this. And uh, no matter what, you know, even to death, if we're faced with death, that he has it. He has it in his hands. I love that. That's great. And and I think this, you know, it's kind of interesting how history repeats itself. Just as God had to be patient with the Hebrews in the desert, now he's having to be patient with his new church. Look at Paul. You don't have to look any further than the Apostle Paul and all that Paul went through and suffered. And how many people rejected him and Jesus? How many people tormented him? Uh, The Roman church is having problems. The Corinthian church, goodness gracious, Paul is writing this letter from Corinth where he's trying to fix everything because it's gone so horribly wrong. But I like what also, what um, Steve is saying here about God, he does see life differently than us. And I don't think any evangelical Christian will argue that God is an immense being who sees the, the world, the universe differently than us. But I like the key that I do true, truly understand. I think he does understand us. I don't think he would have done the things he had done or sent his son if he didn't understand us. So I think it's both. He is both an immensely intelligent being, yet at the same time, he can sympathize, empathize with us. And so I think this kindness of God, he really does tailor that to our human nature, knowing how we will react. If we didn't experience that 
<coughs> the trials, tribulations, the stuff that we've had to you know, go through through our lives, how would we ever get to the point where we start to see ah. life more as God sees it? Okay. The more I get, and the more I can look back and look at you know, specific points where God brought me through things, yeah. my faith grows. <coughs> Instead of when I was 20, I didn't have the faith I have now. Excellent. Maybe it's the difference between infatuation and love. Uh, when you're young, you may think you know what faith is. You may think you know what obedience is or even who God is. I believe this too. I agree with you, Ken, that our human experience is part of the equation. And why, as we hopefully as we mature as Christians, as we mature as disciples of Jesus, our faith does grow. I mean, um, Paul does say faith has to be trained. It has to be nurtured. C.S. Lewis expands on that. And that's, I, I totally agree, Ken, that because God knows that our time on this earth is part of the equation, why does he let sinners live as long as they live? You know, here's the other, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. If you think about it, well, there are no good people, first. <laughs> Second of all, I think God legitimately gives a lot of people more time on this earth, maybe than they deserved, because he knows. It is this factor that over time, your maturity can lead to a greater faith. Okay. Let's go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, sweetheart. Uh, also, I'm really thankful for his patience, you know. Mm-hmm. Because he, anytime I was able to get saved. Mm-hmm. I've known people in my life who I would say it took 30 years of prayer before they gave their life to Jesus. No, really That's not the drive through. I really think that it pains God's heart. That's a good one. That's a good one. And I'll say, while God is patient, and we should be patient with our fellow human beings who are created by God, and we should respect that. And the next time someone cuts you off in traffic, I know it's hard, but say, well, God loves them too. It's that we <coughs> should have an urgency. To spread the gospel. Because, as God says, um, you don't know when the end is coming. Literally, the end of the world could come tomorrow. Um, No one knows. And thus, don't wait. Don't wait. Okay. Let's go ahead and finish out chapter 2 here. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, 
and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledges and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. For if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. He continues on here. So, continues to say this hypocrisy that's going on in the Roman church is a problem, um, especially amongst those that claim to be sons of Abraham. And so, now we're getting into the circumcision part. So, it's probably good to remember that if you were a an Orthodox Jew of the time, you were expected to follow the Mosaic laws, which were not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the ceremonial food laws. They were laws that had to do with who you could or couldn't associate with. So it was much more than just Ten Commandments. But it's important to remember too, by this point, we're really getting into what's called Rabbinic Judaism. And that's a fancy way of saying that the original Pentateuch or our Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament in which we have the Mosaic laws, the Levitical laws that were laid down by, by God through Moses, have been greatly expanded um, through extra biblical writings that are called the Mishnah um, and the Talmud. And, and really all that's saying is what started with a list of, you know, a pretty lengthy list of all these laws. <clears throat> in the Old Testament has been greatly expanded. <clears throat> and I mean, whoo, pages and pages. I mean, if you go back and you look at uh, uh, writings from antiquity, thousands and thousands and thousands of laws have, have greatly expanded here. So Paul isn't just talking, he's partially talking about what's in the Old Testament, but also about all this stuff that's happened since. And uh, especially if you're a Pharisee of the time, you absolutely believed a lot of this. Um, Everything from how you cut your hair to how you enter a building to um, how your, the size of your doorway should be shaped. Uh, literally, it gets as esoteric as that. And what Paul is saying here is you have gotten it dead wrong. There's people in the church that go, you're not making your doorway the proper size, so you're, um, you're condemned. <clears throat> Meanwhile, I'm cheating on my wife. You know, it's literally stuff like that. So Paul is going to make the case, and he, he's going to lay this out, is to say, you know what? Uh, circumcision, this, of course, everyone knows, this is the, the uh, male uh, does certain things to his body to show that he's part of the covenant uh, community. 
following these laws, all of that is external. <clears throat> and this really gets at what Paul is going to continue to hammer home here, which is the difference between faith and works, or faith and the law. <clears throat> Faith is the nuclear, and I'm going to draw some pictures here. <coughs> Think about this. There's all the works. <coughs> Probably a very bad thing here. Here's some works. If you if you're a if you're a devout Jew, all I have to do is say I'm part of the covenant community, I have to get circumcised, and then I have to claim I'm following the laws. But Paul is saying, guess what? You're condemned if you do that. You're condemned. <clears throat> because it's your faith, in fact, your belief that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, is the only way that you can attain salvation. Why? Because no one can possibly follow the works of the law. The works of the law are only meant to show what your heart is like. Here's a ridiculous way of saying it. Another way of, of trying to put it into perspective here is salvation, which is through a true belief that Jesus is who he says he is, will result in good works. <clears throat> it is not the way that they think, which is pretending to follow the law will lead to salvation. This is not truth, but this is what 99% of the world thinks at this point, that if I'm a good person and I, do, and I pretend to do good on the outside and I pretend to follow these laws or I pretend to be part of this covenant community, what is Paul saying? He's actually saying that, well, what is your heart like? If your heart continues to be rebellious, stubborn, disobedient, you're not following all the laws because he's going to prove, in fact, in the Old Testament in chapter 3, we'll learn, you cannot follow the laws perfectly. There is zero people on this earth, aside from Jesus himself, who can follow the laws perfectly. So you're all condemned, and you're unrepentant about it. <clears throat> not only are you pretending to follow laws, but you're pointing to other people saying, well, why aren't you following, you know, law 29b, even though your heart is corrupt? And I think that's what Paul's trying to get at here. It seems he even goes a step further. Yep. Says, even if you did follow the letter of the law, that still wasn't true circumcision. Mm. True circumcision goes yep. beyond that, and it's a change of the heart by the Spirit. Yep. So it, it kind of gets at your motivation. Why are you following the letter yes. of the law? Are you doing oh, it this is so good. Are you points with the rabbi or with your fellow Jews? Are you doing it to praise God? Mm -hmm. at this, Steve, you get a gold star for this. I'm going to call this humanitarianism versus righteousness. How many atheists do you know who volunteer for Habitat for Humanity? How many humanists, and by humanism I mean in the, in the modern sense of rejecting religion and God and saying humans are the ultimate creation or evolution of the universe, I serve the greater needs of humanity because humanity can fix all of their own problems and they do charity work. Or they, um, <clears throat> maybe they donate money to, you know, name your secular uh, uh, foundation, which I won't. Which I kind of just did. <laughs> <laughs> nothing against, again, there's nothing about the, about the organization itself. I'm saying the people who are 
who are being a part of those organizations who reject God, I call that humanitarianism because it gets at what Steve just said, which is why are they doing that in the first place? Look at me. I feel better. And even if it's not look at me, it's I feel better on the inside. Like, I did a good thing here, right? I'm going to make myself feel better. Look, I'm not like all of those bigoted Christians. It's the guy that washes his car every Saturday night, so when he shows up at church on Sunday, mm. everybody can look at him and say, or at least. What's the, what's I, I swear it was an accident. I wash my car. <laughs> <laughs> I wash my car. That's good. But every good. Saturday, so Sunday, That's right. everybody knows, hey, Steve, now I'm gonna, that's Steve, man. Look at him. I'm going to look at the cars every Sunday now and see who washed the cars. He's a good steward of all that God has given him. But isn't this true? Here's, here's something you can do. Go to the Science Center of Des Moines or go to the Des Moines Zoo and go to where they have the placards of all the people who have donated money to that foundation. How many of those people have their name up there versus the people who put anonymous? 99%. In fact, if you look at, like, go to the Des Moines Opera or the um, uh, uh, Des Moines Symphony, you can, you can open the playbook, and it always has, right near the front, is all of the people who have donated money and how much they donated. It's the classes, literally, and it goes up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. How many of those people who gave the most have their name as anonymous? It, it's almost zero. Why? Because it's the difference between drawing attention to myself versus glory to God. Look, there are plenty of Christians that do good to make themselves feel better. Don't get me wrong. I would be wrong if I didn't say we give more than 10% of our income, our gross income, to charity every year. And I say that only because it does make me feel better. I'm not ashamed to say it. But that's not the only reason I'm doing it. And, and of course, uh, I do feel better that I'm helping someone, and of course our Zimbabwe mission is probably an excellent example of that. Um, we sponsor children who are getting fed, they're getting clothed, they're getting an education in Africa, <clears throat> and I'm helping be a part of that. I'm not going to lie and say that it's not just me. I do get something out of it. But in the end, I think the root reason I do that is because I'm trying to bring glory to God through this. <clears throat> um, this also gets at what happens when God answers your prayers. <laughs> This probably is the biggest misconception that even Christians have as to why God answers your prayers. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. God loves you. He doesn't like to see you suffer. <clears throat> he likes the fact that he wants to make you, I'd say, joyous, uh, fulfilled uh, <clears throat> in the future. He wants to be a mature Christian. But there's plenty of suffering on the, in this world, and a lot of it is our own doing. Part of the reason, and I'd say the biggest reason why God answers your prayers is so that you will bring glory to him because of it. I would say the next time God answers a prayer, tell the world about it. Tell the world. Why? Because the reason he did that was so that you would become a more mature Christian and that you would give glory to him. I mean, it's as simple as that. <clears throat> and I think that is what defines or separates Christianity from humanism. 
Yeah, and I mean, um, I, I see what you're saying there. It, it kind of gets at, I think, why you did it. Now, if you put it on Facebook to say, look at me and how great my life is and I'm a great person, I would agree with you. I think that that is the wrong intention, and this gets at the difference between faith, faith and works. <clears throat> but if you did it to say, maybe you people should do this too, or there is suffering in the world, there's a great suffering in Des Moines of homelessness and poverty, we need to do more about it. I would say because your heart was in the right place, that was a good reason to do it. And again, it's hard to judge a book by its cover. I think that's what the Jews of the Roman church were doing. They were judging each other by their covers and not by their hearts. <clears throat> I think it's interesting if you're a scholar of, of um, <clears throat> the New Testament, first of all, Paul quotes liberally from the Old Testament scriptures throughout Romans. And I think he's doing that because, of course, one of the biggest members of the church are Jews or Jewish proselytes. He quotes from the Septuagint here. <clears throat> that's the Greek New Testament. Or, I'm sorry, that's the Greek Old Testament. <clears throat> and I think that's interesting. Okay. With... Nine minutes left. I think we're going to avoid going into Romans 3 this week, but I do want to kind of follow up with some of the questions or, or comments I put here. <clears throat> mm, did we cover all this this week? I don't know if we did. Some of this we'll answer next week. <clears throat> um, yeah. We talked about this one. What about people who didn't hear the law? We will continue to talk about faith versus works. <clears throat> yeah conscience. We talked about that. I think he'll continue to talk about your conscience here. This idea that it's kind of your root programming starts with the difference between good and bad, but it can be perverted, especially if you, um, you follow a different path than that which God sets out for you. We talked about who violates the law. We'll continue to do that. That's everyone. <clears throat> we really will talk about a lot of this again next week. What is Jewishness and circumcision? What Paul will talk about in chapter 3 is the fact that it's no longer an external thing. That whether you're Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, Jew circumcision is a matter of the heart. It, it's a matter of what's going on on the inside. And that's what he's trying to get. And I'll just be honest with you. It's really hard for human beings to understand the difference between faith and works. I think what I drew for you here, this equation, is one of the hardest things for us to grasp in this world. And there's plenty of so-called Christian denominations, even non-Christian, <coughs> who say you have to have works in addition to faith for salvation. Paul, let's be clear here, is going to be very clear about this. That is not true. It is your faith alone which will lead to salvation, which, if true... If you truly have been saved and your faith is right, will result in good works. That's your fruit, right? Jesus himself said it. <clears throat> you will know a tree by its fruit. You'll know a tree by its outside. <laughs> What's happening on your heart will affect you on the outside, but it is not the other way around. It's not following this on externally you know, giving to your favorite secular organization or pretending to be a good person that's going to lead to salvation. Why? Because God knows the innermost being of your heart. And that's what we're going to pick up next week. <clears throat>